Amen. I don't know about you guys, but I was blessed by that worship. That song about the gentle healer, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. That whenever you have Christ in your life, you know that no matter what, in the end, you will have that glorified body, you will be healed, you will be restored. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Peter, and we find our way to chapter 4. If you'll turn your Bibles. For those who are joining us, 1 Peter has been a very um, challenging but encouraging study. And it's, I don't know about you guys, but uh, each week as we talked about the challenges that life brings you, a lot of you have expressed that many of you are going through your own challenges, physical suffering, some of you, your health is not what it used to be, some of you are experiencing career changes, and uh, this book is just so timeless that it still applies today, that no matter what you're going through, the good news is that we have someone that goes with us, amen, and he's for us, and he'll never let us down. Before we jump into the text, I want to tell you a story. There were three men, and they were the best of friends. And they live life together, and they encourage each other, and they try to help each other out because they live in a culture that was really anti-anything that had to do with the real God. So one day, this king, he was an egomaniac. He was very narcissistical, and it was all about him. doesn't remind you of anybody in today's society, does it? But uh, he was one of those rulers that utilitarian, ultimate power. So in this day and time, he erected this huge, ginormous statue. And it wasn't just any statue. It was like made of gold. And, and his, his, his intention, we don't really know. We can only speculate that he just wanted to unite all world religions around him. And the statue was symbolic that he, he was the guy and everyone had to worship the religion that he wanted to do. So these friends decided, you know what, I don't care what happens to us, we will not bow down to this gold statue, I don't care how big it is, how much bling it has, we're not going to bow down, we're going to serve the one true God. So this king was enraged, and he said, because you three guys, you you Jewish boys, aren't going to serve my religion, my God, I'm going to throw you into this blazing, fiery furnace. But I'm going to give you a second chance. Will you, will you bow down? And these three guys said, even if God doesn't rescue us, we will not bow down or serve the image that you've created because we can only serve the one true God. And this king threw into a fiery rage and said, heat the furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been. So they bound these three young guys, Jewish boys, and they went to go throw them into the fire. Before they could even throw them into the fire, the fire was so hot that the men, the the bodyguards that were throwing them into the fire, they died on the spot. And it said that these three men kind of just fell into the fire. And what was interesting about this story is when these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and fell into the fire, they discovered that there was already someone in the fire. And they were surprised, like, who was this guy in the fire? And King Nebuchadnezzar came, and he looked, did we not throw three guys? I see the bodyguards, they're dead, so it can't be them. Who's the fourth guy? And he looks like a son, in his, his day and time he had many gods, but he looks like the son of God. And they didn't realize it, but it was Jesus who was in the fire with them. And what's interesting about that story, something in parallel, this is Daniel 3, by the way, is it never says that the first man who was in the fire, also the fourth man, but he was the first man, he never left the fire. 
So what that tells me today is when you enter into a fiery trial that we're going to read about in 1 Peter 4, that Jesus is still in the fire with you. So no matter what you're going through, know that Jesus is already there and he's waiting for you. And kind of something interesting about that, that situation in Daniel 3, it sets a stage for 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, that these trials that you don't bring on yourself, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was because they were doing the right thing. They didn't deserve it. When they got to the other end of the trial, God promoted them. And this is what happens. When you're in a fiery trial and you didn't deserve it, you didn't bring it on yourself, things happen to you and you still follow God anyways, at the end of your trial comes a promotion. So some of you are going through a hard time. Guess what? A promotion is coming your way. Somebody say, Amen. Alright, so let's jump into the text. First Peter 4, and as I mentioned, reading verses 12 through 19. It says, Beloved, and I love that. When I'm going through a hard time, isn't it good to know that someone loves you? Isn't it good that God loves you and he cares for you no matter what you're going through? So it starts with Beloved. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange happened to you. So in other words, when you're going through hard times, don't think it's unusual. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So on the other side of your crisis is a joy waiting to happen. It says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, so that's if someone makes fun of you, someone persecutes you, you don't get invited to the social outing because you're a Christian, it says rejoice, because blessed are you. Now listen to this, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. So in other words, the lost world doesn't understand why you're a Christian. And they blaspheme, they take God's name in vain, they don't care about God. But when you're suffering unjustly for the cause of Christ, the Bible says you're blessed. But it gives a little caveat here in verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Now, I thought that quite interesting that equates gossip in the same list with murder and being a thief. So, ouch. Yet... If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Verse number 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, then what will the end of those things be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, if Christians go through trials, and we all do, and we survive, what's going to be like for the lost world that goes through trials and they don't have God? Or from an eternal perspective, what's going to wait them on the other side when, when they die without Christ? And it says in verse 18, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, in other words, we don't come without a struggle, this world is challenging, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Father, we pray your blessing on your word. And Father, I know there's a lot of people listening today that's going through a challenging time. It may be a college student that's trying to figure out what career path, and they're, they're wrestling in their soul what to do, and they, they're just really discouraged. It may be the young married couple, Lord, that's having financial problems. It may be that someone is having physical suffering in their body, and they're like, why, God? I used to be so healthy. I don't know what each one is going through. 
But God, I ask and pray that you would help us, that you would encourage us, and that through this message we'd be challenged and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message I've entitled Fireproof. And I've got to really define what that means. To be fireproof means that you go through fires and it's not, you're not just burned up, but you thrive even in the midst of a fire. That's what it means to be fireproof. And Peter is referring to this fiery trial that's to test believers. And we see that in the Old Testament, as I mentioned in Daniel 3 and other places, where fire in the Old Testament represents purification process. It also is symbolic of God and His holiness. Hebrews 12.29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. In this context, fire is symbolic of the heat and the intensity of the trial. So it's not just a little hard time you're going through. This is something that is a really challenging trial. This is not just any trial. It's a trial by fire. So today I want to give you six fireproof statements from this text that will really encourage you. If you're going through a fire and you don't want to get burned, and it's not you don't want to just get burned, but you want to thrive in the midst of a fire, here's six things to think about. Number one, God doesn't promise to deliver you from the fire, but he walks with you through the fire. Look at verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as something strange were happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. A lot of times we we use stories to help add a little light and insight to this, that we're not to consider it strange. So, I was reading through the story about John Wesley, and I gave you guys a story about him a few weeks ago where um, someone dragged him through, by his long hair through the streets and he kept preaching. Well, I heard another story about John Wesley, and I thought this is quite interesting. He went through so much persecution. Many of you knew he traveled on horseback from town to town to preach. And it was three days that he realized no one's thrown a stone at me. No one's thrown rotten fruit at me. No one's tried to kill me. It's been three days. So he said, something must be wrong with me. This is John Wesley. He he wondered if he was backslidden because no one had tried to throw a rock at him or kill him in three days. Now, how the world has changed. So get this. According to the story, he got off off his horseback. He knelt down and he started praying, like, God, if if something's not right, I I don't know why I'm not being persecuted. You know, the Bible says that we're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. The Bible says that the world's going to hate us. The Bible says you're going to be persecuted and hated by all nations for my name's sake. And it's been three days, God. I don't see any fruit flying. I don't see any rocks flying. What's wrong with me? And all of a sudden, <laughs> this story cracks me up. A rough guy from the town saw him off his horseback. <laughs> he hurled a rock at him. And as soon as John Wesley realized the rock dodged him, he's like, I must not be backslidden after all. And he got back on his horse and kept riding. And I was thinking... Compare myself to John Wesley. If someone criticizes me, I think I'm being persecuted, right? If someone says whatever, I'm just like, and stones thrown at me? I, I haven't had any recently. And if you got any, please do not start today. But the Bible says, do not think it's strange. So you may go through a fire, but don't be surprised. Because the Bible says we live in a fallen world. Romans 5.12 says it like this, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. In this way, death came to all men because all sin. Last time I checked, the mortality rate was 100%. One in one die. And we live in a fallen world. The Bible says Satan is temporarily the god of this age. 
And uh, Jesus said when he was praying, he said, I can't say much now because the ruler of this world is coming and he has no part with me. So Satan is temporarily ruling and wreaking havoc of this world. So we will face challenges. We will face trials. But notice the text that says we are to rejoice. And this, this is actually found four different times in these two verses. And I'm thinking rejoice. Literally in the Greek it means to be constantly rejoicing. Now how can I... If I'm in the midst of a fiery trial, rejoice. Does that not seem crazy or what? But Peter's talking from an eternal perspective. He's saying you may be going through the heat right now, but what you don't realize is that you are like a piece of gold that's being refined and all the impurities are being burned away. So when you get to the other side, you'll look back and say, I don't know why I'm going through it now, but hindsight is what? 2020, right? You realize now I know why I went through that. Now I know why this situation happened with my family. Now I know why I lost my job. Because God is working something in you, and he's working something through you. And the destiny that he has tomorrow, you may not be ready for today. So sometimes he allows trials to happen so that you can be prepared for what's to come. So that you can be ready. So whenever you go through something challenging, if you look back at verse 13... It says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Now, what's interesting about the New Testament is it says that whatever Jesus went through, we as Christians fall in his footsteps. So Jesus went through good times. We're going to go through good times. Did Jesus go through challenging times? Of course he did. And we, will, we too follow in his footsteps because we live in a fallen world trying to do the right thing. And sometimes challenges come our way. But did you know that whenever you go through a shared experience with someone that creates a bond, you guys ever notice that? Like, for those of you who have lost a spouse, whenever you meet someone else that has lost their spouse, do you not have that shared bond? For those of you who have back problems, you meet someone else that's got back problems, do you not feel like there's some kind of connection there? If you've lost a job and you see someone else has lost their job and they've been through what you've been through, that shared experience creates a bond. So... In the same way, whenever we're suffering for the cause of Christ, it does something supernaturally where we feel closer to God than ever before. Because Jesus went through suffering, and guess what? We're experiencing it. And that creates a bond that creates intimacy between us and God. So the first fireproof statement is God doesn't promise to deliver you from it, but he does promise to walk with you through it. Number two, as Christians, here's my hope in the midst of a fiery trial. I love this. Glory is just around the corner. Glory is just around the corner. Look at verse 13. The last part. It says that when his glory is revealed, you may be also glad with exceeding joy. So I want you to think about that. This, this is something I really had to research a little bit. But it's saying that when you're suffering, it says that when Jesus' glory is revealed, you will rejoice. And then it says that God is going to be with you in such a way that when you're going through suffering, it says you'll experience a little bit of heaven. Now think about that. Glory is just a visible, tangible way of God saying, I love you. It's his glory. It's his, his love in your life. And whenever you're going through suffering, the Bible says that you can experience a little bit of heaven. And that explains a little bit why martyrs throughout church history have died at the stake singing songs to God. And like even a good example in the New Testament, Stephen, he saw Jesus giving him a standing ovation. 
And Stephen had such peace and said, God, don't hold the sin against him. So when you're suffering, it opens a little bit of God's glory in your life and it helps you to get through it. The Bible says it gives you a peace that passes understanding. So when when I see that... It says that you rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering. When His glory is revealed, you may be also glad with exceeding joy. That's a beautiful promise. Now, many of you, how many of you have ever seen the movie Unbroken? Anybody ever seen the movie Unbroken? A few of you. A little background, i got a clip. It's about Louis Zamperini. And he was this Olympian that um, he, he went through so much suffering in his life, it was unbelievable. He started his life kind of on the wrong path. And his family and his friends basically said, unless you get your life straight, you're not going to amount to anything. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to make something of my life. And his life turned around, and according to the, the true story, he became a Christian, gave his life to Christ. And all of a sudden, he began to train, and he became an Olympic athlete. And it just so much happened after that. He, he served in World War II, and he was shipwrecked, I believe it was for like 47 days at sea. And then he got captured by um, the enemy armies. And he went from concentration to concentration camp, but he survived. And then as he went through the process of forgiving his enemies, God used them as an evangelist to impact many lives. So I got a little clip of his life, and I'm going to bring something from this clip in just a second.
Louis's life is really representative of the Christian life to where, you know, he started off on the wrong path. He gave his life to Christ. He went through suffering after suffering. But through it all, he survived, he overcame, and God used him greatly as an evangelist. And what's interesting about that clip I wanted you to hear is that one moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. I want you to think about that in eternity perspective. If you go through pain here on earth, if you go through suffering, if you go through trials, think about the glories of heaven that awaits you. One moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. So whenever you go through suffering, know this, glory is just around the corner. Number three, the Holy Spirit is your strength when the fire gets hot. The Holy Spirit is your strength when the fire gets hot. Look at verse 14. It says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, I want you to think about that, the spirit of glory. And I alluded to this a little bit earlier in the previous point, that whenever you're going through suffering, it's almost as if the spirit of glory, talking about the Holy Spirit, a little bit of heaven is in your soul. So even if this body, this outward body, is suffering and perishing in your soul, There's this ray of glory. There's this hope. And we know from other passages that the Holy Spirit is kind of like the engagement ring. He's a little down payment of what's to come. So he he comes inside of you as a Christian. He lives in you. And when you're suffering, the Bible says in the Psalms that God is near to what? The brokenhearted. He comforts those who are going through challenges. So the Holy Spirit encourages and empowers you when you're going through challenges in life. So whenever you're going through your darkest time, I want you to realize this. God's light shines the brightest in your darkest times. And we have a watching world watching you as you go through your trials, as you go through your challenges. And they see a little bit of God's glory shining through your life. That even though you should be down and discouraged and defeated, you're still gone. Scripture says a just person may fall down seven times, but they get back up. So you get back up, you keep going. There's one caveat, as I mentioned in verse 15. It says that when you're going through suffering, let me read verse 15 to you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. So here's the caveat. If you're going through suffering, just make sure you don't bring it on yourself. You guys want to hear my um, stories where I bought something on myself? This is is church, right? Confession. So let, let me give you a little story of confession. Back in my single days, I moved to Texas and I uh, started going to seminary, and I was working at a church. I was a singles pastor, which meant anyone that was unmarried adult, you were in my ministry, and we had a good time together. So, there was this girl that moved from Asheville that I was friends with from church, and she came down, and a little, little background of her, she was 33 and I was 24, okay? So, uh, <laughs> she had come down to seminary, and she had just got out of a relationship, so she was on the rebound, and I was on the pursuit, so you see a little trouble brewing here. So she moves down. I show her around Texas. You know, here's Fort Worth. Here's Dallas. Um, here's the church I'm pastoring at. We'd love for you to come. So anyways, long story short, uh, we start dating. And it was trouble to begin with. She was a strong leader and I was a leader. She thought she had a lot more life experience than I did because she was nine years older. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. So here, here was the challenge. I got into a relationship a little bit too fast. You know, so singles, here's the thing. You might want to be friends before you jump into a relationship, just a thought, because it may not be the best relationship. So here's what happens, and 
Where are my parents at? They're somewhere in here. Where are my parents at? All right. So, my mom still tells this story to this day. So, I'm in a relationship. My mom knows it's not going anywhere. How do moms know? You have the intuition. It's not going anywhere, son. She's not the one for you, right? So, it, it, it becomes Thanksgiving time. And, you know, school seminary lets out, so they have Thanksgiving break. So I'm like, Mom, I kind of have to bring her to meet the family. And she's like, really? I'm like, you know. So Thanksgiving comes, and I can't really break up with her over Thanksgiving because that would be think less, right? So I'm, I'm stuck in the relationship. It's Thanksgiving. So I'm like, I'm thinking about how do I get out of this relationship without casualty because she's going to my church. She's helping out in the ministry. I'm the singles pastor. It's going to be scandalous for the singles pastor to hurt this girl's heart in Thanksgiving. So time goes on. What comes after Thanksgiving? This would scar her for life. If you've ever been dumped on Christmas time, it's not the best timing. So, sure enough, it's Christmas time. We're celebrating Christmas, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how did I get into this? So it was Christmas time, exchanging gifts all along. My mom's like, I told you. I can't do anything, Mom. It's, it's Christmas. I, mean, I can't break your heart. I'm a nice guy. I'm in a bad relationship. Not the right relationship, but I'm still a nice guy. So after Christmas comes New Year's. You know, when the ball drops, baby, it's over, right? I mean, you can't do that. So I'm stuck in this relationship. I don't know what to do. So New Year's comes around. We're back in school. Things are going to wet around. And, okay, getting ready to end the relationship. But all of a sudden, Valentine's Day is right there. So I'm stuck in this vortex of a bad decision that I had made. I jumped into a relationship. She was a really nice girl, just not the one for me. And it was just like, so you guys want to hear how I finally ended it? Um, I feel like it's just confessional here. So I had this mentor, and we did like, we had this mentor couple, because it was kind of, as a single pastor, you give advice. Hey, it's good to have an older mentor couple. So here's how I got out of it. This, this is bad, but uh, it's confessional time. So I met, I met with my mentor and his wife, and I said, you know, I don't know how to break up with her. I've been, I've been in it for this many months now, holidays, and can you help me break up with her? Now here you've got a grown man asking a mentor, like, can, can we just do it in a group session so it's easier? So I, I kid you not, and I don't necessarily advise this, but this was the easiest breakup after I went through the trial that I brought on myself. No glory for that is uh, we were in a session, and somehow he brought up, like, you know, you guys don't seem like you're cooking. I'm like, well, I agree. I think something's off, and maybe we should just be friends. And so after the shock dropped the bomb, we had been through so many shared experiences of Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's, New Year. Um, basically, it, it ended nicely, and I'm like, okay, while you were here, do you mind praying with her? Slipped out the door. And we were still friends, but uh, she's married now and kids, and I'm married, so it's all good. But that was a story of something that, a bad decision I had made. So here, here's the caveat. When you go through suffering, and you brought it on yourself, you get no reward for that. You guys following me? <laughs> so now you heard a little one of my Texas stories. All right, we're on number five now. The greatest consolation in the midst of a trial is this. I can bring glory to God through this trial. Look back at verse 16. It says, verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Many of you know Henry Blackaby, know of him. He wrote Experiencing God. His daughter got cancer 
and he was really struggling, and he was praying. And he said every time that he prayed for his daughter to be healed, and he thought that God didn't love him, because, I mean, here's this well-known author serving God, and his daughter gets cancer, and he didn't know why. I mean, why would my daughter of all people get cancer? I mean, I'm serving God, I'm following. God showed him the cross. And every time when he doubted God's love for him, he would look at the cross and realize Jesus, God's only son, he gave his only son to die for the sins of the world. So it, it, it would remind him that God, even though you go through suffering, he himself sets the precedence that Jesus suffered for all of us in this fallen world so that we could have salvation. And in this world, people do get sick. People do die. But that's not the end of the story. The Bible says if you're a Christian, this is just the beginning of eternity. So we can't think in just temporary thoughts. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to die before your time. But something that um, was interesting about Henry's Blackaby story, I didn't tell the rest of the story, but God did heal his daughter. And she got married, and her and her husband, her name was Carrie, they became career missionaries, and they've been in Germany since 2001. So sometimes God does turn it around. Sometimes in his, his all-knowing, we don't understand why things happen. But we do know suffering happens. But here, here, here's the encouragement that Jesus said. He said, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So here's the thing, no matter what happens to you as a Christian, even the worst case possible scenario, in the end, you win. Is that not a good story? Amen. Number six, and this is the final point. The good news for us is this. Our trial is only what? Temporary, not eternal. In verses 17 through 19, he gives this picture of it's time for judgment to begin in the house of the Lord. Now, if I was an old school preacher, I could go off in that verse. It's time to, in the house of the Lord, you know. But here's what it really means. It means that we're going to go through trials. It doesn't, it's not one of those hit you over the head verses. It's really not, if you look at the meaning. It means we're all going to go through trials. No one's exempt. And those verses simply mean, if Christians don't escape trials, how is there any hope for the lost world? So within that, you have an evangelistic appeal that the world around you, if they're going through suffering or trials, this is a really good time to point them to Jesus. Because sometimes when people hit their rock bottom, is when they're, they're willing to reach out and ask God to, to help them, to forgive them. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are kids, your, your family members, they're not in a church, but when they get sick, most of them don't mind you praying for them, right? They're more open and receptive to God than ever before. So the picture is suffering cannot just refine you as a believer, but suffering, it's a time for you to be evangelistic. It's a time for you to encourage people, not hit them over the head with the Bible, but just be present with them. Ask things like, would you mind if I prayed for you, for you right now? Would you mind? Do you want to talk about it? And sometimes when you hit rock bottom, that's when you're more open to, to God doing something. I want to tell you a story about Mary, a really sad story. She's an Egyptian girl. And uh, as you know, in, in that part of the world, there's a lot of terrorism going on with ISIS and these radical groups. So Mary was only 18 years old. And she was uh, staying at a friend's house. And she got abducted by one of these radical groups, uh, Islamic groups. And uh, they, they violated her. They kidnapped her. They, they took her away from her family. And for nine months, she went from house to house 
uh, just suffering persecution because she was a Christian. And uh, according to the story, she had a tattoo of the cross on her wrist. And they poured acid on her wrist to erase the cross. And she was forced to memorize the Quran, forced to fast. And they, they made her wear one of those veils around her head. And she said, I can't do this. I'm a Christian. And they said, if you don't wear the veil around your head, we will pour acid in your face. So she went through this persecution month after month after month. And eventually there was this Christian group, and I think I, I got their name here in the story. They, they, they helped her rescue her. They were called the um, Servants of the Cross. And they basically helped people get out of this horrible type situation. So they rescued her, and they helped restore her, get her back um, to, to, to wholeness and healing. And uh, they found her a Christian husband. And she was able to turn her life around. They even went so far as to, she went to a tattoo artist and they got the cross tattooed back on her wrist. And um, they said anywhere from seven to 10,000 people are forced to conversion to Islam in Egypt. And I was like, seven to 10,000 people, that's a lot. So we're in a world now where if you're a Christian outside of America, that means you could be killed. It means you could go through persecution. And the thing about it is, I want to point you back to this verse. I thought it was really encouraging. It says in verse 19, and we'll close with this verse. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as the faithful Creator. Let me bring a few highlights there. It says, commit their souls. In the original Greek, this is actually a banking term. I know there's some of you that are in banking. And what this literally means is to commit as a deposit for the safe guard and well-being of a deposit. So here's the picture. In this world, many of you have lost money in stocks. Economies hit a lot of people. And this world, our economy is not consistent. It's up and down. Lately, it's, it's down a lot, right? But here's the picture. If you're suffering, the Bible says you can commit your soul to God. And the deposit that you give to God will never go down, but it will continue to increase with eternal dividends for the rest of your life. That's the picture. So any bankers out there, the best deposit you can get is depositing your soul into the hands of God. The final thought in this verse, notice it says that he's the faithful creator. Now I wonder why Peter uses the word creator and not, you know, talking about suffering, I would maybe say the word healer, right, or savior. Why does he say faithful creator? I think one possibility is this, that the creator loves his creation. And when you're suffering... God never made the world with the intention that the world would go through suffering, right? He created a perfect Eden of paradise. But because of Satan and the fall of humanity, that's when suffering entered the world. So people ask, why did bad things happen? Well, the answer is Genesis 3. Because sin entered the world, that's why bad things happen, even to people who are trying to do good. There's the answer. Because sin entered the world. But that was never God's intention. But what God does throughout the Bible is he enters into creation and he tries to redeem it. So you see a lot of stories about people in the Old Testament that seem crazy, that seem messed up, and God's entering into the life of Moses, entering into the life of Abraham, entering into the life of all these characters that are fallen just like us, and he's trying to bring them up and restore them and redeem them. And that's what he does for us. So here's the picture. When you're going through suffering, give it to God and keep doing good. Give it to God and keep doing good. And I wrote on my notes, abide and abound, abide and abound. So it says, give your soul to God, and it says, keep doing good. So suffering 
is never an excuse to say, I'm not going to do good anymore. Actually, it's the opposite. Because I'm suffering, I now see eternity with a big picture view. That this life is not all there is. Thank God it's not. There's a world far better waiting for us. And if I will just go through this, give my soul to God as a deposit, say, God, I can't hold on to this. Everything is with open hands. My life's yours, and you continue to do good for God. What God does is, He reminds you, hey, you remember those three young men that was in the fire? I'm in the fire with you. You know what? When you're going through suffering, I suffered. I mean, think about the cross. I, I died on the cross. No matter what you are going through, I've been through. And I can understand. You're suffering? Jesus could save me too. I went through that. You're going through hardship? Me too. You got rejected by friends? I did too. And no matter what you're going through, remember this. that You have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Let's look at your take-home sheet on your listening guide. Here's your take-home truth to kind of summarize the whole message. If you want to live in victory now and forever, you need to become fireproof. And as I mentioned, fireproof means that you go through the fire. Not only are you not burned spiritually, but you thrive in the fire. And here's the only way to do that. A dynamic and living relationship with Jesus is the only thing that can make you fireproof now and forever. So here's, as you go to lunch in just a few minutes, here's some talk questions as a family. First one is this, what does it mean to be fireproof? I just answered that, but let's see if you can remember in 30 minutes. And number two, God doesn't promise to deliver us from the fire, but he walks with us through the fire. What does that mean to you? How does that encourage you? How does that transform you? Preview for next week, we're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to talk about what a, a healthy, thriving church looks like. For those of you who can join us on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Psalms, and it's been a really encouraging study, so I would encourage you to come. Dinner's at 5.30, and uh, the worship service is at 6.15. Let's pray together. Father, your word is powerful. Wow. Um, Lord, I, I just thinking about the people who are suffering in this room. I know there's people within the sound of my voice that are saying, Timothy, if you only knew the physical pain, I only tell my wife or a husband half of it if you only knew. And friend, I would say I don't know, but God does. And he's your faithful creator that cares about his creation. He knows how you were made. The good news is he's going to have you remade with a glorified body one day. And Father, I'm thinking there's some here that may have never committed their souls for the first time to God. And help them to realize from the scripture that that's the best investment they can do. Is say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I entrust as a deposit my life to you. I want to make you my Lord and Savior. Right now, with no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you know, this whole series on Peter, and we've talked a lot about trials and suffering. You know, really, it's almost like God's been reading my mail because I've been going through some challenges. It may be a loss of a job or physical suffering or financial crisis or you're having family struggles, whatever it is. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but know this. The God of glory is going to be with you in the midst of your suffering. He's going to come down to where you're at and he's going to say, I never left the fire. I'm still in the fire with you. Draw close to me so that we can have an even greater relationship than before. If there be one here that has never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as we continue to pray, just in your own heart, in your own words, to say something like this, Jesus, 
I've never given my soul to you. Today we talked about the best investment is to give your soul to Jesus. So Jesus, I give my life to you. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you did suffer and you died and you were buried and you rose again. Jesus, I believe that you're God and I believe that you're good and I give my life to you. Forgive me, Jesus, and fill me with your presence. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, you see our hearts and our prayers. Thank you that you're with us and you're for us and you never leave us in the good times and in the challenging ones. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's children said...